All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Catching Up with Chubbs. I'm your host, Colin Hubbard. Producer Jake Cantrell is across the room. How are you doing tonight, man? How are we doing? And tonight, we're joined by a very special guest, Shane Thomas, the sports editor at the Valdosta Daily Times. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing good, guys. How are y'all? We're doing good. You are our first sports reporter slash sports editor on the podcast, so uh, this should, this should be this should be pretty fun. I hope so. <laughs> Let's do it. So, but I'm sure by just knowing, looking at the title and how we were kind of promoting this, uh, we're here for rush probes and to talk about that a lot with what's going on in Valdosta. But before we jump into that, we want to kind of uh, dive a little bit into who Shane is and why we wanted to get him on. So Shane, I know obviously you're the sports editor down there. Uh, how long have you been the sports editor down there in Valdosta? I've been the sports editor for two years now. Um, and I've been at the daily times for almost five. Gotcha. So, you know, we talked just briefly before we got on here, you're from the area. So, um, just, just kind of set the scene for us as far as, you know, how big football is down there. Cause everybody knows in the state football is huge in Valdosta, but, from a guy who's lived there and has now worked there, just how yeah. big is it? Man, it's huge. It's um, it's 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 a religion here almost. I mean, it's everywhere you turn. There's there's wildcat this, there's Viking that. Um, even Valdosta State uh, with the college football team has had a lot right. of success. So, um, it, it's it's really big here, and a lot of other sports are there. They'll always be below. I mean it. We've had, you know, especially at Valdosta High School. I mean, you had, we've had uh, girls basketball there almost get to the state championship. We've had uh, um, the the boys basketball team. They're coming up. They, I think, they went from like thirteen wins to like twenty four with a coaching change. And they're on the come up now, but it's like you know, football, especially at Valdosta, is is always king. No doubt. So, did you play football down there or go to school down there? Yeah, so I, I went to I went to Valdosta High School. I uh, graduated in 2006. Um, I didn't play football. I almost did. I almost did. Um, I, I thought about trying out my freshman year, and then I, I kind of fell in love with basketball at the same time, and then and then chose that. Um, even though it didn't really work out for me the way I wanted it to, you know, that was that was just something that I played more and gravitated toward more um, while I was in high school. Gotcha. So was was your goal always to be the sports editor there, like you know, once you kind of figured it out? And how cool is it that you're now the sports editor in the town that you grew up in? It's a it's an interesting story. So um, I was raised by my great aunt, uh, and she she always had a subscription daily times. And so ever since I was about, I'd say maybe eight, nine, um, whenever she'd get the newspaper, I'd always get the sports page. Uh, Cause she didn't really care for it. So I went and grabbed it and I would just read through all the stories and, and read through the agate sections just to see how all the teams were doing. And um, you know, that, that's something that kind of went on even when I got into high school. Um, never would I have thought that, you know, I would end up being the person that's responsible for putting that stuff on the sports page. So it, it, it really was, it's kind of surreal when I sit back and think about it now, but um, you know, it was always one of those things I actually coming out of college, I didn't think that my first, you know, journalism job would actually be with the Daily Times, actually, because um, I had I'd done some freelance stuff for the Daily Times while I was in college. I covered the men's basketball team. And, 
you know, I, I made some good money with that. But then after a while, they kind of they kind of stopped using me. And so I was like, well, I guess, you know, I'll just I was working at a academy school door two and a half years and, you know, randomly got my start out of nowhere. Um, they kind of reached out to me. I never actually applied for that job. Um, they reached out to me and said, hey, we, we've looked at your clips. You've been on our radar. Uh, you know, the uh, editor in chief, Jim Zachary, wants to talk to you. Um, you know, whenever, whenever possible. So I met with him like maybe two days later. And then at the end of it, he was like, well, uh, you know, this is probably the most informal job interview you've ever had, but it's yours if you want it. So, and I've been working there pretty much ever since. So it, wow. it, it really is, you know, it's been crazy. I started out as just, you know, another sports writer and, you know, probably about the fall of 2018. That's when, you know, I ended up you know, my other two guys that I'd gotten close to, they went on and took jobs other other places. And eventually I was, you know, I went from being the third guy to the guy. And then, you know, a few months later I got promoted and here we are. For sure. So when you first got there, how, what's kind of the timetable from when Coach Rotemaker led them to, to a state title? Were you down there during that time or was that a little bit before you actually took that sports writer position? I think it was, it may have been, I think it was like right after I joined. Um, I think, yeah, it was after I joined. Um, I think I started December 5th and I forget the day of them winning the state title was, but I was very new on the job. Gotcha. So you, you jumped right into, you know, I'm sure great things within Valdosta football. I mean, they had, you know, everybody knows the, the history of Valdosta, but they, you know, they hadn't won one in a while. So coach Rodemaker, yeah leading them to a state title. What, what was kind of, if you remember what was kind of the, the mood and, and how, how happy was the town to finally get another state title? Oh man, it was, it was tremendous, man. It, I mean, it was just, I mean, it was huge. Cause I mean, everybody, everybody had kind of seen Valdosta, you know, you know, I, I, I remember vaguely them winning in 98. And then it was just like, you know, when I went to high school, I think they had made the play times and, you know, they were, you know, they got close a couple times, but never really did much. And there was just this long drought. But, you know, once they won, you could just feel like it was almost like a weight had been lifted off of that program and high school. Everybody just had like this, you know, heightened sense of pride and kind of renewed pride in a way. So sure. uh, once once they won, you know, first time in, you know, in 18 years that they had done it, you know, Rodemaker was on top of the world and Valdosta was king again. So everybody was happy. And can I just ask, you know, I mean, both as a reporter and just as a person, you know, what is it like being around like a, a football team that has won a state title? Uh, what, what is it, you know, because I mean, like you, so I actually also, you know, just kind of inherited the sports editor position in my hometown newspaper. And I mean, mm -hmm. so I played for this high school team and my senior year we won, we went two and eight. And then this year, covering them my first year, uh, I mean, we went 0-10. So uh, what, what is it like being around the winning? Like, what is it like being around a state champion? Like, that sounds sounds fun. It's it's really cool. I mean, um, you know, even though I wasn't exactly covering it right then, um, you know, I was still, you know, a part of the team. And, you know, seeing seeing them win and, and eventually getting a chance to, to cover the team and talk to Coach Rodemaker, like, you just get a you just get a feel of like, hey, we we've done this, and you know we plan to win more. It was just a a whole shift in how the program had been. 
lot of people, um, you know, rallied behind that. And, and, you know, they, they won a lot of games while, while coach Rod was here. So, um, you know, they, they, they had, they had some ups and downs there, some tough losses, but, you know, winning that state championship, obviously that that's going to get you a lot of leeway, at least with, that's what we thought. Right. Could you have ever imagined we would be sitting here today with, with all that's happened over the past few months uh, after uh, coach Rod was able to win a state championship with Valdosta? Like, did is it just a, complete whirlwind since that day yeah it's, it's it was it was completely unexpected I remember I was coming back from you know covering like a like a high school basketball game at the time I got the news that he was not being renewed I you know I was just like him I was kind of blindsided by the news and I was just like wow why, why didn't they do that we they, they just made the state quarterfinal and you know they they lost to Richmond Hill which was a tough loss for them because everybody expected them to beat Richmond Hill handily. And, but what a lot of people don't look at is they had a lot of injuries in that game. I think uh, they lost their starting running back to an ACL. And then they, you know, they had, had like four or five turnovers in that game and just, just didn't play well and ended up losing to Richmond Hill. So, um, you know, a lot of people were mad about that, but I don't think anybody expected him to be fired or, well, not fired, but not brought back as the head coach. Right. I mean, what was kind of the best explanation you got from the community or from the school board or whoever as to why they they made that decision to let him go? You know, it's one of those things. It's kind of it felt like it was almost kind of like a like a hearsay kind of deal. Like, you know, we never got a reason. I know I was I was working phones and, and trying to get to the board members and see like what what the cause was. Um, you, it, you could ask five different people and get five different answers. Um, it could be the fact that he was one in three against Lowndes, which is a crosstown rival. Right. You know, we have the Wintersville Classic every year. And, you know, I think, what, two of those games we didn't even score. And then one game, which is known affectionately, at least I call it the Trap Tisdale game, um, you know, down in, in, in Kentucky, that's where he is now. And, you know, he had a game where he, you know, scored six touchdowns, you know, for them. And, you know, I think they won like 71 to 35. And I think it was at Valdosta. So there were a lot of – if you can't beat Lowndes, that typically uh, gives you a short leash. Now, you know, a lot of those coaches hadn't won state championships. So it's, you know, it, it's kind of interesting how, you know, that, that could have been a reason. Um, obviously, with the board's decision, um, they said that, you know, it was of the nine people that took votes, the five that voted Rodemaker out were black, the four that voted to keep him were white. So obviously, there's that thing where everybody takes that and kind of runs with it, um, you know, and, and nobody really knows the reason. Uh, everybody's kind of been up in arms. I saw a lot of ugly stuff. After that, people that were within the Valdosta program that were saying some stuff that was very uncharacteristic. Um, so it, it just it just became a mess and, and became like the biggest story in town at that point. What was it like as a sports editor trying to write stories and, and keep the community up to date with with all that that was going on with that? It was it was stressful. I'll be honest. I mean, it was it was kind of tough because, you know, you like to be able to get your information and break the stories and put these things out. But, you know, it was it was a period where just nobody was talking. Um, I remember calling board members and the minute you mention it, they would just kind of hang up on you or, 
they'd be like, oh, well, you know, no, I can't, I can't, I can't talk about that. And they just hang up. And it's a personnel issue. I'm sure it's something you yeah. hear a lot, right? Yeah, it's a personnel issue. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that when, the, when, when we're instructed to, and, you know, I've been instructed, I've been, you know, directed by the court not to do this. And, you know, so I got a lot of that. Um, you know, the best thing that I got from it was being able to talk to Coach Rodemaker after it happened. And he, you know, gave his side of the story. Um, but unfortunately, you know, eventually, you know, a big part of our job is relationships. And, you know, I'd gotten, I'd gotten pretty, got in pretty good with Coach Rod. He was, he was, you know, very gracious to me to give me access. And, uh, anything I wanted, you know, from him or anybody else, I could get it. And, you know, eventually we, we, we started doing some digging on our own, trying to figure out, you know, what it could be. Um, we did some stuff about um, receipts uh, that showed some alcohol purchases that were done, but this was like, you know, coaching get-togethers, things like that. Um, so he, there was nothing that really incriminated him, but when I reached out to him once he was hired at Colquitt County as their defensive coordinator, um, he was he was, uh, he was was pretty pissed off at me. Um, you know, he, he just said, you know what, I'm, I'm not really interested in talking to y'all. Y'all ran that story. The receipt story basically ran first uh, front page on, on our paper after we had done our data. I didn't really contribute a whole lot to it. I just made some calls and, you know, did some stuff like that. But I never actually interviewed anybody for the story. Um, and so he was mad at me and and, you know, I kind of didn't get, you know, the, the best last conversation with him. But, you know, you could get you get the sense that, you know, he was, he was still stinging from it. And, and you know, he, he's still fighting that to this day. What was the community's reaction when they found the news that, that he wasn't going to be the coach anymore? Cause I remember that, you know, it had been kind of released <coughs> and it was kind of up in the air. If I remember correctly, like it wasn't just all of a sudden one day he's gone. Like some people, I guess you kind of knew this was a possibility if, if I'm, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, so what was kind of the, the community's reaction when word actually finally came down that, Hey, yeah, he's, he's been voted out. He's not coming back. Yeah. So once, once it came down and it was legitimate, um, I think they, they had fought it and demanded a revote and the vote was the exact same. And immediately everything was split, you know, straight down the middle. Um, it, it became, you know, the, the proponents of it, you know, they were saying, you know, it's time for a change. He didn't get us where we needed to go. Obviously, there was the black side of it, you know, the racial side where, um, you know, you had sides saying, you know, we, we're finally going to be able to hire a black coach. A lot of people felt like since Valdosta was mostly, I think it's like 70 percent black, that they should have a black head coach. Um, there was that side of it. Um, there was also the side of you, he was a perfectly good coach, led you to state, won 36 games in four years. Like he was he was perfect for that program, good for the touchdown club. They had doubled their uh, money and things like that under him. So a lot of people were were confused or, you know, some people were happy. Some people were obviously upset. But, um, you know, I think the feeling was, you know, this was a mistake. And then everybody just wondered, well, who's going to be the next coach? Because there were, there were plenty of candidates. Uh, Josh Crawford was his offensive coordinator. Uh, obviously, he had – Ironically, he had coached under Coach Probst at Colquitt and had been a part of the Valdosta staff for a couple of years. Um, he was a guy that everybody thought would, would be the heir apparent. And then suddenly he wasn't the guy and had completely removed his name from the running. So it basically just everybody was just like, well, who's it going to be? And, you know, with the pandemic and everything starting, that kind of that kind of slowed everything down, too. So what was kind of the timeline, you know, as far as 
uh, Coach Rod is voted out, and now they're searching for a new coach. Kind of what was that timetable like as far <clears throat> as dates go? Yeah, so I think um, – so obviously the vote came down, I think it was late January. Uh, by By maybe mid to late February, they had already decided to vote him out. I want to say March 14th was the day that they um, – I think that was the that was when they had really started to open it up. And I think in April, April 14th is when they actually hired Rush to be the next head coach. And then May 8th, I think, was the first time that he was even, you know, formally introduced or something like that. So it, it kind of moved quickly once, you know, once the Rodemaker stuff happened, there was a little period of we don't know who it's going to be, and then it's Rush, and then – you know, we move forward. But so it wasn't like they they fired the old guy because they already had Rush lined up or anything like that. I don't, I don't, I don't think it, it was necessarily lined up that way. Um, I think it was they had interviewed a bunch of people: Dean Fabrizio at Lee County, uh, Mike Coe at Madison County. I think he had won a couple state championships down there. Um, there was another coach from I think Vegas. And then he he had a good interview, and I heard he was actually informed on his way back out west that he wouldn't be considered for the job. There was some uh, some type of legal situation that had popped up that they had gotten wind of. So um, I think Rush, you know, around the same time, Rush had been introduced, I think, January 2nd to be the head coach at USA Academy in Alabama. Uh, it was an upstart school. They hadn't even, I don't even think they had a campus yet when they hired him. And so after a while, you know, there was, there was talk of things stalling at USA Academy. And then suddenly it became, Hey, well, we're going to have Rush Probst on. We're going to see, ask him about if he'd be interested in the job. And so um, he was asked by my buddy, Phil Jones, who used to do radio down, down here. And um, he said that, you know, it would it would be a pleasure to coach them and, and that would be my dream job and suddenly you know one thing leads to another and then he's a candidate and then he gets reinstated after being fired at Colquitt in 2019 and then you know he becomes the head coach and and you know then then they got the wheel the wheel turning on that yeah little did did Valdosta know the legal troubles with this uh, <laughs> Vegas coach would be the least of their worries a couple of years later <laughs> But, yeah. yeah, I mean, just listen to, to you talk about all this. This is how you know Valdosta is, is huge because it, it almost sounds like you're reporting a college in yeah. their coaching <laughs> search. I mean, this isn't normal. Like some random school, you know, they part ways with their coach and then, boom, all of a sudden they've hired, hired somebody else. You don't know the ins and outs. You don't know what happens in between. You don't know why the coach was let go to begin with, why this coach was hired. It's just, it just kind of happens. So the fact yeah. that – you know, you're able to say this so detailed and the offensive coordinators in the running and then this Vegas coaches in the running, it's that just goes to show just how massive football is down there. Well, and also some good reporting. Exactly. <laughs> Got to have some good reporting in there mixed in. Yeah, that was it was a lot to deal with. I mean, because you're so used to not getting that kind of information, like case in point, uh, 2018. So Valdosta State wins the D2 National Championship in December. And then uh, South Florida reaches out to Kerwin Bell, who was the coach at the time. You know, he, he played at Florida and, you know, I think he was a former, you know, SEC player of the year, something like that in 1984. So he, he led Valdosta State to the championship. 
he got, you know, South Florida reached out to him to gauge his interest and trying to get that information was like pulling teeth. It's like, well, I heard this from here. I'm trying to confirm it here. Oh, I got nothing. I got nothing. And then like a, a couple days after they didn't have anything, the, the university put out the story that, that coach Bell had gotten the job. So the fact that I was even getting this kind of information, this kind of access was, um, was pretty cool. I was like, man, if only, if only, you know, VSU had been like this then I could have broke that story pretty quickly. No doubt. So when did you first catch wind that coach Probst might be the next guy in line? I mean, you talk about the whole, um, you know, upstart program that he was originally going to do before that all got derailed. So what kind of, if you remember, what was kind of that first initial time that you heard that, hey, this this might actually be a, a possibility and there might be a good chance that Coach Probst is going to be the next head coach of Valdosta? Yeah, so um, like I said earlier, um, so Dean Fabrizio, who had, who had uh, been the coach at Lee County, still is the coach at Lee County, right. Both he and Mike Cole were interested. I think both of them kind of got cold feet given how the situation was playing out. They felt like it probably wasn't the best move for them, so they went back to the schools they were at. Um, there was talk of of Coach Crawford, the offensive coordinator, being promoted to that job. Um, and it seemed like, in a way, he was almost kind of operating as the head coach in a way after Rodemaker had been let go. And so, you know, I did an interview with him about people that had been, you know, kids that were getting offers, things like that. And it seemed like he would be the natural pick to be the guy, given everything we do. Right. Well, um, from from what I've heard and 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 almost could confirm is that, you know, I think they only offered him the coaching job in the interim, not the full head coaching job. And um, I think if he if he wanted the job, I think he probably wanted it to be his. And so when it wasn't, he kind of pulled his name out of the running. Uh, Robert Edwards, I think, may have been the coach at Griffin. I'm not sure. Um, he was a guy that uh, a lot of people thought was a finalist for the job. And randomly, uh, Coach Hal Mummy, who used to coach at VSU in, you know, 1995, you know, had, you know, he was the kind of the originator of the air raid offense and everything like that. Even he was being mentioned as a candidate. And he's, wow. I think he was 68. Wow. Uh, something like that. So, um, so all those guys were were candidates, and then the probe stuff started to come up. It's like, well, he's he's trying to get he's trying to get reinstated, uh, getting his coaching reinstated, and then finally, it's like, okay, well, they're down to mummy. Uh, I think I think they for some reason they still had Crawford as a finalist, Edwards and Probst, and then Edwards falls off, mummy falls off. And then finally, it, it's probed once they take the vote. So it, um, it it took a while, but something told me that, that Rush would find his way back kind of into the, the conversation because I felt like I would tell people this privately. The crosstown rival, uh, Coach Randy McPherson at Lowndes had just retired. Right. And I, I sat and thought, I was like, Lowndes could hire Probst if Probst wanted the job. But then a lot of people were like, ah, I don't think Lyons is going to do it. Well, as it turns out, a former coach under probes, Jamie Dubose, got the job at Lyons. They went ahead with that hire. So I, and, and then Probes ends up at Valdosta. So I was I was off by about you know, that much. No doubt. So, yeah, I mean, before <laughs> Probes gets there, obviously he has a long run at, at, at Colquitt, has a lot of success. 
gets gets caught up in some stuff there towards the end. Some stuff comes out, and and he's quickly kind of pushed out the door there. Um, were you surprised at all that that Valdosta was willing to give him what many consider to be that third chance? You know, after what happened originally in Hoover, Alabama, and then he gets a second chance in Colquitt, can kind of squandered that, you know, to an extent, and then gets a uh, gets another opportunity in Valdosta. Were you were you at all surprised or? is winning and being a successful football team just that much more important to you know when, when it all comes down to it yeah I, I was I was a little bit surprised um just just because of you know everything that had went into the whole Rodemaker being dismissed everybody thought oh well they they have to hire a black coach now well I mean I don't know if you've seen him lately but there's nothing there's nothing black about <laughs> Rush Probst necessarily um you know, he's, he's, you know, he's in his sixties and everything like that. So I think, I think it was a situation where they kind of got tantalized by the possibility. Right. I think it was, it's like, this is Rush Prost. He has like 293 wins or however many. Um, he's a proven winner and he's available. And it's probably the best candidate for the job right now that we could go for. And I think ultimately they looked at that and they said, you know what, well, we're just going to, we're going to push our chips to the, to the center of the table and, and go for it. And I, I thought they, they took a swing for the fence and, and got their guy. And, and immediately, you know, though I, I, my wheels started turning. I did a column on it. Like right after it happened, I, I said that the rush post hire by Valdosta is the most important since Nick Heider. And Nick Heider, obviously, for those that don't know, I mean, he he was kind of the the main guy that kind of stretched, you know, from the 70s to now, you know, kind of made it, you know, he was the coach when they won a lot of those state championships. And and he had kind of built the program. He was kind of, you know, a lot of people look at him as, a, you know, the model head coach and, you know, a paragon of virtue in a way um, for, you know, Valosta football and a guy that, that represented the glory days. So, um, with Probst and his resume, even, you know, baggage aside, um, I felt like it was the most important hire, you know, that Valdosta had done. I felt like they took a major risk and, you know, and you look at the, how the season went, they came within a win of getting a chance to play for the reward. Did you almost get the sense that, you know, with, with this, with the baggage that came with them, if he comes to Valdosta and, you know, wins the state championship in his first couple of years and starts winning a lot of games that, nobody will remember, you know, all the stuff he's done before because he's winning now. Did you almost get that sense that, you know, as long as he starts winning right away, then we're good. Like, we don't have to worry about people constantly bringing up all the stuff that he's done in his past. Yeah, I, that's that's immediately what I said. I, I thought that them hiring him said, like, they have to win now. That there's no other choice. You, f- you fire a perfectly good coach, and then you bring in a guy like Rush, the expectations are going to go up, you know, tenfold. It's like they, you already had major expectations on Coach Rodemaker right. to get back to state, and they they didn't quite get there. So then you get to Probst, and this is a proven winner. I mean, he won back-to-back titles in 14 and 15. And that was what his sixth and seventh state titles, you know, across two states. So uh, immediately the thought was they have to win right away because if they don't, you know, then, then you know, I think people will start getting impatient and, and really start to doubt that hire. Right. So, you know, Jake Garcia is kind of the big splash news over the summer with, with him coming from California with, you know, California not getting a high school football season. And it's funny because I did a lot of freelance work with Gwinnett Daly and covered Grayson's, like, last five games. So I got to know Jake pretty well and, and got to cover him and 
uh, got to cover his signing day to Miami, which was cool. And he was originally going to be Valdosta's starting quarterback for the entire season. And what he played, what one game, and then yeah, one game, one game, and then some, you know, you know, ineligibility came into it, and he ends up transferring to Grayson, obviously, and goes on to win a state championship. So, um, just talk talking to me a little bit about that, and and I guess Valdosta instantly getting some transfers in that were some pretty big names, and it not not working out the way Coach uh, Probst had thought it would in in the long run. Yeah, so it it um a lot of things happened with the quarterback situation. Obviously, Coach Rodemaker had his son. His son went off to Florida State right. uh, to play for Mike Norvell, and then you're starting to look. Okay, well, who's who's coming up? Uh, they had a they had a rising sophomore, uh, Mike Miller, who who was probably penciled in as the starter at that time. And then Probst arrived, and then you started to see um, some of the guys come in. Amari Jones was was a, a guy that was competing for the job. Um, it was pretty much between him and and Mike Miller for you know most of the summer, or at least the the time they had you know, preseason. Um, so it, the thought was, okay, so one of these guys is going to be the quarterback. Then we get wind of Garcia coming from, you know, California to come, you know, play for Valdosta. So I remember talking to Probst and even though Amari had gotten most of the snaps, I think once it became clear that Garcia was coming, Mike Miller fell off and he, I think he quit the team. And then it was between Amari and the newcomer and, you know, I remember talking to Propes. It was a preseason scrimmage. He said, well, I mean, Jake hasn't even gotten here yet for the first scrimmage. Um, so, you know, we're going we're gonna to evaluate once he gets here. And, um, you know, they got their first look at him a couple scrimmages later. He'd only been there about 10 days, and suddenly he was going to be named the starting quarterback. So uh, I think everybody thought, okay, well, if, they got, if they've got, you know, Amari Jones, who I think is a three-star quarterback, and then you have – you know, Garcia coming in to start, then they're going to be pretty much shored up at, at quarterback. So um, they went forward with Garcia, and and he started the first game against Warner Robbins. Yeah, Coach. And then, um, I mean, just was it awkward that, I mean, when you say, like, you know, that there's people coming in, you know, you said, hey, there's people, players coming in and everything. I mean, is that awkward, you know, to see as a reporter and just, I mean, I guess that's with the coach, you know, I mean, I don't know, like, like take us through that, you know, just of there now being all of a sudden these new players coming out of nowhere. Yeah. So like, you know, with Garcia coming in, it was like, okay, so that, that was kind of weird. It's like you had been seeing through the whole preseason, there were only two quarterbacks. Then there's a third and, and he starts getting the bulk of the snaps. Um, according to, to Probst at the time, you know, he's, he's a very he's a very honest guy. He tells it like it is, which is what I like about Rush. But uh, told me flat out, he's like, look, I haven't I haven't seen any tape on him. I just know he's coming here. I haven't seen any tape. I haven't even talked to him yet. Oh. He said, you take that for what it's worth. But I haven't I haven't. And he said on purpose, I have not looked at a single bit of tape. I want him to earn the job just as, just as well. And I sat there and I thought I was like, well, if he's a four star, I mean, it, it, it should come out the way it should. Um, I wasn't expecting him to, to get first team snaps right away, but then he is a four star. So once he started getting the, the starting, you know, reps, it got kind of wild after that. But I think it just kind of came down to, you know, the main guys. It was Garcia, it was Amari Jones, 
And it was Taj Sanders who had played for him at Colquitt at receiver. And Taj, I think, is a four-star receiver, electrifying playmaker. Um, they already had, you know, two good receivers already in Javante Sherman and Allah Brown. Javante, um, I think, had committed to East Carolina and then decommitted. And I think now he's going to Eastern Tennessee or East Tennessee State or whatever. Uh, Allah Brown, who had played, who he actually played for Valdosta um, and then left for a year and then came back once Rodemaker had been let go. And he's another guy, I think, that was a three-star. Um, and he's actually, you know, committed to go play for Deion Sanders now. So they had talent. They were loaded at receiver. And, um, you know, the other guys that came over, they were kind of guys that figured to be in the mix, but weren't guys that were looking changes just yet, just because there was so much of that team that went to the quarterfinals the season before. Gotcha. So when Garcia is ultimately ruled ineligible, what was the mood around the team? Was Probst upset about this or, you know, the fact that you mentioned they already had, you know, pretty good quarterback in place before Garcia gets there. So was it kind of just, did he feel like it was just next man up? Let's just keep this thing rolling. Or was, was there anybody upset about the GHSA's ruling on, on Garcia? It was very confusing um, because I think obviously he had to be ruled eligible to be able to play the Warner Robins game. And, you know, and it, it, it just had this weird feel to it. It was like, okay, well, um, he's already, he's already eligible. He played one game and then, you know, he gets kind of dinged up a little bit in the game, but then, you know, he's not playing the next game. I'm like, okay, well, what's going on? And as far as we knew, we were told that he had a hamstring strain. It was pretty bad. And he was obviously hobbling around the sidelines. And, you know, he, he wasn't able to go. So they went to Amari Jones as, as the, the starter from there and, he had played really well. And then once you get around the Lowndes game, I want to say it was like the fifth game of the year, maybe. Um, you're thinking, okay, well, maybe they'll have Garcia back and then we'll have this big matchup between Jakari Brown, who's a you know a four-star dual quarterback now. Uh, that's getting, a, I think he just committed to Miami, ironically, with Garcia, who also committed to Miami. But, you know, they thought, okay, well, maybe they'll get him back for that game. So then when he's not back, suddenly that's when the eligibility talk started to come up. So then it was like, okay, so is it an injury or is it him being ineligible? Right. And so, or is it both? And that's what we had to deal with. And, and eventually once everything started to come out about him being finally ruled ineligible, a lot of people were upset about that. I know coach Probst thought that he, he said that, you know, we did everything we were supposed to do to make for him to make a bona fide move. Uh, obviously, you know, the GHSA thought that he had made a bona fide move where he wouldn't have been able to play at all. Um, so then, you know, it became, I think, around that time that kind of led to the investigation. You had his parents do a, a thing with Mark Schleybaugh, I think, for ESPN. And uh, they, they did some talking about some things that they did and how they were able to get him eligible. And I think that started to um, kind of rub some people the wrong way. They thought it was a little weird. And, and I think some people kind of alerted the GHSA to that. And they decided to look into that further. And ultimately that kind of got the ball rolling to kind of where we are now. Right. Yeah. I was going to ask, I mean, not to get too off topic here and too down this rabbit hole, but were, were people down there in Valdosta upset when Garcia ends up at Grayson and is ruled eligible and is able to play all the rest of the season and ultimately wins a state championship with Grayson? Oh, absolutely. It was, it was a lot of confusion. I know I was confused by it because usually in that situation, at least with the GHSA, with how the ruling they, they just came down with recently, 
you would think if a guy's ruled to be ineligible at Valdosta, they wouldn't be able to play anywhere else. Exactly. So the fact that he's able to just walk to Grayson, play games, lead him to state championship, decommit from USC, go to Miami, man, like that's a whirlwind of a time to right. say like, you know, I was about to play here and then I went there. It, you know, a lot of people were like, well, why are they able to do that? And and there was a lot of unanswered questions with that. And a lot of people were salty about it. And and also before, sorry, uh, but also how many times did you expect to see Mark Schleybaugh in Valdosta this year? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it just, it, you know, just for him to have his parents, I think his dad came, um, the story was they had legally separated in order for the dad to come down. And then the, the, his mother would join later. Well, you know, to have Mark Schleyball on that and, you know, people start talking about, well, how did you make the move? You know, I, I think ultimately, you know, it, it was it was almost too good to be true in a way, you know, having him come here and, you know, obviously uh, Showtime, I think, was filming a documentary. I think the cameras are still rolling on that as well. So you had a whole, like, you know, two-a-days sitting uh, brewing with Rush and, and Garcia and all those guys. And so it, it, it was meant to go one way go sideways pretty fast right so getting back to the actual season Garcia's out um and what that also ends up losing to, to Colquitt who rushes mm-hmm. rush came from and then you lose to Lowndes the week after that what, what was the mood around Valdosta uh in those <clears throat> those back-to-back weeks of you know with Rush losing to his old school and then turning right around and losing to the crosstown rival the school that uh coach Rod was was unable to beat you know during his stint here and that was kind of the knock against him a lot of people expect you know, about Asta, who at that time they hadn't they hadn't hit their stride yet. Um, I think they were still trying to figure some things out. Was was kind of substandard and protecting anyone. Um, so a lot of people were kind of you know about Asta yet, and so they 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 pushed Calquit for about a half. Um, you know the defense was really good that game. I remember. And a lot of people felt good about the defense. Defense was part of the offense at the time. And, you know, Cockwood scored a bunch of bunch of touchdowns defensively, and actually they pulled away. And I think, you know, people felt even Probe said, you know, we, we're on their level. And, you know, it kind of is what it is. We have we made way too many mistakes, and they were the better team. And then you get to Lowndes, and, you know, that was a game they had no business even making close. And, and they – kind of fought and, and made it, you know, a game at the end and lounge was just a little bit better. Um, I think they, they, you know, even though they probably wouldn't pull a whole lot of uh, moral victories out of it. Um, I think people were kind of encouraged, but they were also kind of disappointed just because, you know, they, they felt like had they had Garcia for those games, it probably would have made a difference. And the fact that they didn't have him for either one, I think a lot of people were disappointed about that. So I guess from an expectation standpoint, people weren't super upset with the way those two games played out, considering everything you just laid out. Yeah. Yeah, it was just, you know, it's just one of those things, you know, that Valdosta wasn't quite there yet. And, you know, the expectation was a little bit tempered, I think, just from everything that the team had to go through and not having a full summer camp and not even knowing when the season started. So, you know, I think I think it was just more of, well, they kind of chalk it up to COVID and then, you know, just not having Garcia. In the- yeah. At the end of the day, you can, people can always blame COVID man, right. especially in the 2020 <laughs> year. 
it's the ultimate trump card, man. Exactly. It really is. So, yeah, they get to the playoffs, though, like you said earlier. Uh, they have, what, three impressive playoff victories, and then they, they meet Buford there and made it made it a game there earlier. I remember seeing the uh, the score updates that night, and they were kind of going back and forth there early on in that game, and Buford ult- ultimately pulls away and wins. Um, so the season kind of ends right there. What's the uh, initial initial recap story that you were writing about how the entire season played out considering Garcia leaving and – uh, it being Rush Post's first season there in Valdosta. Yeah, I, I really expected at the start of the year that Valdosta would be where we were. Well, I think Amari started to come into his own as the starter back. I really started a lot of more confidence, a little more physicality, because the, the rap on him kind of was that he would kind of shy away from contact. He wasn't tough enough, things like that. And then eventually – you started to see him step up and have some big games. And, you know, he had the weapons to allow him to have those big games. The offensive line started to play better. The defense was lights out most of the season. Um, so they they picked up steam and started playing their best ball, you know, when it counted. And everything they went through for them to get to within a win of being in the state championship game, um, I think a lot of people feel felt really encouraged and, and For sure. excited about, you know, the future about Austin under pros. So coming from that moment until now, or really until the <laughs> news all came out with, with the with the allegations and, and the secret tape recordings and whatnot, um, <laughs> was this is just a complete shock? Did this just catch you out of out of complete and left field? Like when you first heard the rumblings of these tape recordings and whatnot what what was going through your mind i thought it was i thought it was a little weird because i believe the the transcript of the recording was part of a deposition a 64 page deposition for the rodemaker lawsuit for wrongful termination i was wondering how how that was in any way connected because obviously rodemaker had already left by the time Rush had even been hired. Right. Um, so I think that in the, the time of that interview, I think it was like May 16th. So Rush had only been on the job for like maybe a month. So, I mean, it, it felt like, okay, well, that's a little odd. And then the tape leaks and everybody hears this. And the first, it started with just, okay, well, he said Georgia and Alabama paid players and Nick Chubb was involved. And then, you know, Nick Chubb responds and says, well, I mean, if I wanted if I wanted to get paid, I would have just went pro. Exactly. You know, so, you know, he said it was fake news. And so a lot of people just just, you know, kind of brushed it off. But then when more of the tape started to be heard and more people started to dissect it, you know, it became OK. Well, now he's talking about getting funny money for players, you know, a slush fund for players, you know, to, to pay for them to be here. And and, and it just is, you know. Nub Nelson made his rounds and, um, you know, he's, he's kind of become a little bit of a celebrity with that. You know, he's, he's been talking to ESPN and the New York times and, right. you know, he's really, he's really milking his 15 minutes in a way. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of unraveled. It went from, you know, spring practice is coming up in a few weeks, you know, well, a couple months at this point, and, you know, they're getting gearing up for that. And now it, it becomes, well, what, what is going to come of the team and the coaching situation and everything else. Um, right. So while I'm not surprised who it is, um, I was honestly, I was a little bit surprised that it happened so soon. You know, I, I told, you know, I told people, I was like, well, I mean, it may be, it may be a couple of years before anything happens or he does something that gets him canned, but 
you know, the fact that it wasn't even, you know, a year later. We're still on the honeymoon, surprising. man. We're still on the honeymoon. Yeah. We haven't even got past the honeymoon right. stage. Yeah. So that, that, that I think was the biggest shock is that, you know, it, it started to happen so quickly, you know, not even, you know, a year on the job. What do you think was the, the, the biggest reason from the tape recording that ultimately led to this investigation and them you know, suspending him and, and all that and opening up an investigation? Was it him claiming the, that colleges are, are paying their players and, and recruits or was it, the the funny money side of it or was it just a mixture of both was it all just a just a a huge combustible bomb that just exploded right then and there i think it was more more the funny money aspect um i think a lot of people just based on what happened at call quit there were a lot of things going on in terms of uh players you know there were i think there were players on on uh I think there were some players that were on payroll as substitute teachers, uh, that, and it was public record. Um, there was there was the whole allegations, although I don't think they were confirmed, of him, you know, administering prescription drugs to kids, things like that, uh, unpaid taxes, that kind of stuff. And so, you know, you hear that you hear the guy that's done that in the past start talking about, well, hey, we need money to pay for these kids to be here, and you know, I think that kind of perk people's ears up and then you know nelson making his media tour you know telling more about the situation i think that kind of got people um really keyed in on it and i think that's the reason now is it more in a more of an offense to need the funny money as they called it um to pay players or to i think there was something about you know he needed something for you know like a down payment on his house or something or the fact that they were going just a like a bonus to his personal expenses and stuff as well like which of those is more egregious i think i think him him trying to get it to to pay his own personal expenses is a little weird um right. you know i think with you know touchdown club funds things like that ultimately they kind of they probably have a little bit of money on the side, you know, if, if somebody needs some help or if they're in a bind. I don't think it's necessarily to pay for families to live in an area. So it's that part plus, you know, there was money, I believe, in the in the recording. There was money for um, advertising that um, Nelson alleges that Rush pocketed. So, you know, to have him, you know, to have that allegation out there, you know, it, it, it's just a big mess all the way around just because you have the player aspect and you have the personal aspect uh, factoring into the money situation. Yeah. And just to clarify, I mean, like where what is this booster club money, touchdown club money? Like, I mean, this is just stuff that like people in the community donate. Right. I mean, or fundraising fundraisers and stuff. I mean, isn't that right? Yeah. Or- yeah, so it's it's fundraisers, uh, it's advertising. You know, people people that are on Touchdown Club making donations. That's correct. So, so I'm sure the the people in the community are not too happy when they find out. You know, hey, I've been donating this stuff, and it's really just going to pay the students' bills. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people were kind of bent out of shape about that. And then on top of that, I mean, uh, the Touchdown Club was in a bit of a transition because obviously Rodemaker had a lot of support within the Touchdown Club. And there were a lot of donors that pulled their funding of the program because of, you know, because the situation was so unpopular. So they were kind of having to regroup and and kind of reset the touchdown club and get it back to a good standing financially, you know, with the feed the cats program, which is, you know, you know, well-renowned with them, um, 
you know, that's huge just for nutrition, things like that. And so once you start saying, well, we're going to pull our funds, you know, the touchdown club is in peril, you know, you know, using those funds for donations and, and saying, you know, we need these to pay for, to pay for kids. I mean, obviously people are going to look at that, even though we don't have any evidence that they received, you know, this, this proposed funny money, it still doesn't look good from the outside. Yeah, it's like you you need more money more than you ever have, and you also have less than you've ever had because of the situation and everything, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and so a lot of people were just, you know, kind of, they're kind of looking at that like, like, why are we misusing funds? And I think a lot of this is kind of just born from Rush saw the touchdown club. You know, he wanted to take it in a different direction than they traditionally had it. Uh, Nelson didn't want that to happen. And I think a lot of even why probably why the, the recording was even made was probably because, you know, Nelson wanted it to go one way. Rush wanted it to go another. And I think I think ultimately uh, Nelson probably just wanted to kind of have that in his back pocket as, you know, a reason like if I'm if I'm let go from this, this is why. Right. No, yeah. I remember the the whole Nelson interview. He didn't want to do it in Valdosta because he was worried that there would be a, a large portion of the Valdosta community that would not appreciate that. Just just how divided is it with people that are commending Nelson for recording this interview and for kind of being the whistleblower to all of this, and, and how many people are still really upset that he did this and and have potentially ruined what they think could have been a very successful tenure for Rush Probes had this huge <coughs> monumental story never been broken. Yeah, it, it seems very kind of down the middle. A lot of people um, are, you know, Nelson is is public enemy number one to them. Um, obviously, the circumstances, you know, by which the interview even came about. I mean, you're talking, he basically comes into Pro's office wearing a wire. And in the state of Georgia, it's important that, you know, it's not illegal um, to, to record, you know, somebody unknowingly. Um, other states, it, it's illegal. So, that, I think that's a key aspect to this. Um, I think it's something that could go either way in terms of, you know, Probst's case to stay on as the coach or whatever. Because, I mean, it's it's a conversation that you had in confidence that was being recorded by somebody. And obviously, you know, nobody, nobody likes a snitch. Um, that's why he's being viewed. And um, especially now with, with some of the things he said in these stories, um, most notably to me that sticks out is he referred to himself in the New York Times report as a one-armed white jihadist. Um, wow. So at that point, at that point, you're like, okay, so not only is this already kind of slimy, but now you're taking this and, and now it's almost like into something about you more so than it was about the kids. And so I think a lot of people are viewing it like he's kind of, kind of, you know, taking on this kind of like martyr type of role in this process. And I think there's a lot of people that don't like that. And then there's also people that um, just feel bad for the kids in general um, saying that, you know, they're about to be punished if these sanctions are upheld um, that, you know, there's going to be seniors that don't get a chance to play for a state title. There's going to be, you know, kids that uh, in of, of Sanders and, and Jones that, you know, are looking to get good college offers and things like that, that may not even get a chance to play their senior year. So there's a lot of it's it's mostly people with the kids and there's also a big portion of people that are just like, you know, run Nelson out of town and you know he's he's kind of started this whole mess in a way. 
And I mean, as somebody close to the situation, you know, as far as like Nelson goes, like, I mean, did you know him, I guess, well or know of him, you know, before all this? Like, I mean, does this seem out of character or does this seem kind of like him to, you know, be making it about himself? Or, I mean, how is that, I guess, all relative to what you know about him? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, my, my relationship with Nub, I mean, I, I talked to him a few times. Um, most notably it kind of with the whole Schleybar report, uh, if you guys read it, he, he did the same thing to me. He came up, I, I extended my hand and he gave me his, you know, his, his arm. He's like, well, shake my nub. And so I did. Um, that was, a, that was an experience, but, um, you know, he, he seemed to, to care a lot about the kids and, and by all accounts, you know, a lot of people said, you know, he, he's a very important figure to the program um, as a guy that, that, you know, I guess went to Valdosta High and, and held the program in, in high regard. Um, I think a lot of people just view it as kind of crazy. It seems a little uncharacteristic, but um, any, he, he did tell me to, to, to share. So you can tell that's some reality. And correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't he say that he wasn't the one who actually released the video onto YouTube and that maybe some other people had access to it and ultimately somebody else posted it, whether he yeah. gave permission or not? Claims that he was a um, bitch because I, I, don't, I don't know if, uh, if he didn't intend to leak the tape, then obviously it had to be somebody close to him that had access to this. For sure. um, so, I mean, there, I think there's some un unanswered questions there because if, if he didn't leak the tape and he was the one that recorded the tape, you have to wonder who got a hold of that and felt like it was proper to release it. Yeah, because may maybe there are some second thoughts <clears throat> there after he recorded it and knew what was what was on it that maybe he had some second <laughs> second thoughts about posting it or, or maybe he is the guy who posted it after all and is just trying to cover his tracks a little bit, you know. I guess there's there's yeah, a ton of possibilities there. Yeah, it seems. I mean, it seems it seems completely within the realm of possibility. I mean, <clears throat> you know, if 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 you were the one that recorded the tape, given the reaction that it's already put out, I don't know if you want to say that I was the one that did that. Exactly. And and I mean, there's there's a reason that he was doing these interviews, you know, two hours away from Valdosta. Right. So the people that that. <clears throat> you know, had the pushback originally to not want to let go coach, uh, coach Rodemaker in the, in the beginning, you know, I'm sure a lot of them when, when Probst was hired, were, were going to be on board just based off of his winning tradition and whatnot. But were there a lot of people <coughs> after all of this came out that were kind of pointing fingers and, and saying, Hey, I told you so, like I <coughs> should have just kept coach Rodemaker and none of this would have happened. Oh yeah. There was a lot of, I told you so's, um, plenty. Um, there were people that <clears throat> had pulled their funding that once probes got hired, they probably waited until the 11th hour and then they started coming back slowly. Um, and then once they, once they, you know, started winning, you know, all was right with the world. But, you know, I think a lot of people were looking at it like you should have never hired him in the first place. The general thing now is the people that were kind of against it were kind of like, well, you knew what you were getting yourself into, so we don't really have pity on you for that. Um, right. So that's kind of the that's kind of been the kind of the reaction to a lot of to a lot of this is that you knew, you know, he was crooked or whatever before everything happened. So, um, you know, kind of the whole you know you lay with dogs you get fleas kind of deal. So, 
Yeah, you, you um, that's that's kind of the yeah, absolutely. And and there's a lot of people that are saying, well, you know, you asked for it. So how crazy has it been on your side as, as you know, trying to be their sports supporter, sports editor and report all this news? I mean, I'm sure it's it's been a whirlwind for you over these past couple months. Yeah, it's it's been it's been pretty difficult because, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm a one man show uh, with the sports department. Um, you know, I, I have I have some stringer help here and there. But, you know, for the for pretty much since the college basketball season ended, it's been just me. So. You know, the daily operation, having to design the pages gets tough. And then you you have what you're already covering, then you have to jump and try to hop on the, the, the probe stuff. So from that from that standpoint, it's been pretty tough. Has, but, there, been any, has um, there been any pushback on you or anybody mad at you for you just doing your job? Or is, do you feel like you've got the support of the community? And at the end of the day, the community just wants to hear what, what is going on. Yeah, yeah, I, I haven't had any I haven't had any pushback from it. Um you know, I've, I've just, I just do my job. Uh, I've never really had any, anyone too bad, you know, complain about anything, um, you know, other than, you know, maybe I didn't, I didn't make it to a game that they wanted me to be at. We you all know, other that. than that, we all have that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Other than that, it's, it's everybody just wants kind of just wants the news and, and wants that scoop and, you know, anything they can get um, to chew on and talk about, you know, it's something that's good for them. So it, it overall, it's been pretty good. You know, I've been, you know, I've, I've kind of worked, you know, pretty well with it, you know, doing, doing my due diligence with, you know, freedom of information stuff and, you know, getting access to those things to allow me to do these reports. That's been, that's been huge. Um, so from that standpoint, just cause you don't get a chance to do it, you know, all the time, you know, kind of add that investigative aspect into what you do. It, it's a, it's a little bit, it's a little intimidating, but it's actually kind of fun. No oh, doubt. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I'm trying to like put myself in your <clears> shoes and I'm sure it's instead of pushback, I'm sure it's almost more of like, you know, at a baseball game, taking pictures and stuff and everybody's wanting to know, Hey, what do you know about the <laughs> coaching situation and stuff? Like, give me the inside scoop. And you're like, Oh no, you gotta oh, yeah. read the paper. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been crazy. Like I remember even, even before probes was hired, you know, I would be getting random comments or tips, tips, at games They're like hey i heard that you know so-and-so was about to be hired i heard this is happening i heard this is we're gonna get nick saban <laughs> yeah like oh you know nick saban's gonna come and kirby smart's gonna be his <laughs> his assistant and, right you know it was, it was just a lot of stuff um but you know just trying to weed out like what you're hearing versus what's happening um i think that's been that's been the important thing and so far really none of the stuff uh, that I was hearing was actually like fact at all. For sure. So, it, so it, you know, it, it, it was fun just to hear all that stuff and people asking like, what's going to happen, you know, and, I'm, and a lot of times I just have to tell them, like, I guess, you know, I'll find out when you do for some of it. Right. So what do you, what's the percentage that Rush Probst ever coaches a football game about Austin again? Is it 0% or is there a chance that he might be back on the sidelines one day? You know, you know, it's 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 interesting. I look at it. I won't say that there's no chance that he isn't the coach at Valdosta when they take the field later this year. Um, because I mean, we've seen sometimes in, in in instances like in college where you know a team may get hit with something, the coach doesn't necessarily get fired right away. Right. Um, you know, he may he may get a chance to stick around. Um, you know, from a from a internal optimist standpoint. 
Rush said he wanted to retire at Valdosta. It's his dream job. So you kind of want to see what he would do with that. But it's also the other side of the coin as well. <sighs> you keep getting busted with these things. So, you know, a lot right now, if they do decide to go in another direction, I get it. If they do decide to keep him, I feel like that would be very, you know, now you're like, okay, well, they brought you back, but you don't have your quarterback. You don't have this all swirling around. It's almost like, you know, if they do keep him, that's going to kind of be a cloud. So I just, I think there's a chance he could stay. Um, but generally everybody expects him to be let go at some point. What is the latest, I guess, you know, all of the ESPN reporting and everything. The, the last, I guess, we heard from that was, you know, there's a board of ed meeting on the 13th, I believe. And, and you know, it's kind of up in the air from there. So I guess what has happened since, you know, the last that the, the big national media has reported on this? Yeah, so uh, Monday, uh, uh, also, you know, had their they had their hearing for the sanctions. Uh, and, and it was an appeal process that came down. I think April 8th is when they got the letter of recommendation from the GHSA with the sanctions. Uh, Monday was when they decided to appeal those sanctions. And those sanctions were unanimously denied by the GHSA. It was only a four-person group. Um, I think uh, the executive... Uh, um, there was... Um, the athletic director and the superintendent both testified about, you know, showing that they had institutional control uh, from the parent side. Um, they testified that they had not received uh, any payment or anything like that from Probst or anybody in the touchdown club. So despite those testimonies, they were still unanimously denied. So, um, you know, I think a couple of, days ago they decided that they would appeal the denial of the decision um so i think may 4th is when that that hearing will take place that'll be in front of the board of trustees which is a bigger group originally it was thought that it would be the executive committee which would have been going from a four-person group initially to a 66-person group um but i think they wanted to go against the board of trustees people that were a little bit more removed from the situation um because it's it seems to be believed that there's a bias kind of against Probst and Valdosta, um, that they're kind of out to get Rush in a way. And um, there's a bias against the schools kind of, you know, in North Georgia and around the Atlanta area. So um, they feel like um, for their, their best, just, you know, their best chance to get a fair shake is to go against the board, you know, go in front of the board of trustees and, and make their case. And, and then I guess from there, we'll see if, if they take any additional action. Yeah, it seems like with a lot of the allegations and everything he said on the tape, it's going to be pretty hard to prove <clears throat> prove that beyond a reasonable doubt, I guess. I mean, yeah, he, he's saying he's getting payments, but then you have to prove they did get payments. You know, he's claiming Georgia's paying players and Alabama's paying players. It's <clears throat> almost impossible, and they're probably never going to be able to prove that. So yeah. I guess it's just, it's just a matter of the, how crazy the things he was saying is what's got him in such deep hot water. But at the end of the day, they're probably not really going to be able to prove any of this that he said on the tape. Yeah, because, I mean, you have you have the testimonies of, of the parents saying that they didn't get any money. Well, how do you prove that? Exactly. Do you have receipts? Um, where's the paper trail? I feel like if you can't find that, 
um, you have a really hard decision there to, you know, to make all these sanctions and actually hold that down. Because if, if you can't prove it, you know what I mean? We've seen enough movies now. It's not what you know, it's what you can prove. Exactly. And if you can't prove it, Valdosta has a case. And, and, you know, I think they, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out just because, you know, there it's, it's kind of, you said this and we believe everything you said. And, you know, we might be able to on the line, but we don't know for sure. Right. You know, when I, I first, when I first heard, you know, all the sanctions that were going to come down on Valdosta and all the penalties that they might not end up getting, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are like, yeah, they, they probably deserve it. You know, they hired coach Pope's knowing full well what, what his past has been. So, you know, sorry, but Hey, you knew what you were getting yourself into. So if you get any penalties, then so be it. But when you start to look a little bit deeper, like you said earlier, you, you feel bad for the kids because the kids are, they don't have any control of this. Like, they're just trying to play football. They're just trying to, you know, enjoy their, their high school days and, you know, try to win a state championship and get to play, you know, move on to the next level if they're lucky enough. So at the end of the day, how bad do you feel for these kids and having to, you know, just get caught up in all of this? Yeah, it's, it's tough because, I mean, it, just going back to when, when Coach Rod was dismissed, um, there, were, there were kids that, you know, were, you know, vehemently against it. They were saying, you know, that's our coach. We love Coach Rod. It was a bunch of players that came out and, and in support of him, and it seemed like nobody really cared. Um, that was that was a little bit – that was kind of a sad part of it just because there were so many players that, you know, loved Coach Rod and, and thought he was the coach for them, and, and then he gets let go, and nobody seems to care about that. And now you have it where, okay, we have a new coach, and now you're, now you're saying that you're going to take the, take the playoffs and potentially a state championship run from us. Um, and, and nobody really seems to grasp that part. It's just one of those kind of things where everybody's going to be sad about it, but I guess we just move on. And that's been kind of the most difficult part about it, just because you know that there's a lot of kids that, that want to play at the next level, and Probst is kind of their ticket for that. He's a guy that, that you know, does some work to try and get them noticed um, and, and try to get them out there and get coaches to come out and, and look at them. So. Um, to know that they won't get a chance to, to play under the brightest of lights next season if these sanctions stand, um, you know, you feel for them. You know, you, you mentioned move on from this. It seems pretty difficult to move on from something this big. I mean, you know, I guess it's impossible to know how all of this will ultimately play out, you know, a few months down the road. But how, what, what's the steps that have to be taken to move on and, and to start focusing on football? Because like you said earlier, we have spring football right around the corner. And then, you know, get right at it this summer and they'll be busy every single day lead, leading up until into the fall with the season. So um, it's, it's going to be a lot, lot to a uh, lot to do from now until then. Yeah. It's a lot to unpack. I mean, spring practice starts this time next Thursday. Um, so there's, there's questions there. Um, who's going to be there. Who's not going to be there. Who's going to be the interim coach because uh, rush is, is still on administrative leave. He's been on leave since March 9th. Um, and so, you know, even though it's paid, you know, I don't, he, he's not been able to be a part of any football operation. Um, my last contact with him, he said he still runs the program, even though he's not, you know, in person. Uh, so just wondering like, what, what, what will the fallout be? Uh, will they take him off leave by that time? Who knows? Um, there's just a lot of, a lot of moving parts there and, and a lot of wait and see. Um, but you know, it's kind of, it's not the way you want to start 
your spring season, especially your first chance to have spring because they didn't even get that last year. So um, it's a, it's a lot of behind the eight ball stuff going on with that program right now. How, how much are you looking forward to getting into spring and just kind of, you know, kind of see how everything plays out? Like, are, do you kind of go to bed every night, just, you know, excited for what's next and how this story is going to unfold or, or how are you treating? Are you just kind of taking it day by day? That's a little bit of both. I think um, I'm excited just because, you know, it'll be a chance to, to, you know, get back on the beat with that team and figure out what the storylines are and, and who could be the surprises and things like that. Um, you look forward to, to seeing how that unfolds. Um, but at the same time, it's like, well, you know, we don't even know if they'll even get a chance to practice at this point. <laughs> like, right. There's just so much going on that it's, it's, um, it's a little bit, it's a little bit like, you know, jarring to think about it, but you know, ultimately I'm excited. I think, um, you know, just have that opportunity to cover it in spring. Cause that was a long time last year of not having anything, right. you know? So, you know, we're trying to figure out how we're even going to have a sports section. There were times during the pandemic where we didn't even have a section in the paper some days. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to go from that to having a chance to have that now, you know, I'm kind of looking forward to that. No doubt. Yeah. Sports like sports wasn't even, a you know, in the paper and now sports is taking up the news side and the sports side sounds like. Yeah. I, I, after I was the other day, I think I've been there almost five years and it was my first time getting a chance to, I think it was my first in like ever. So from that standpoint, I was like, okay, so that got, some recognition because everybody's going to see the front page. Uh, but you know, it, it, you know, just, just considering everything we've gone through with the pandemic, every, you know, access, having to wear masks at all these games, even when it's 90 degrees at kickoff, um, all that stuff. I mean, ultimately it, it, it pays off in the end, but considering, you know, all this stuff surrounding Valdosta, I guess, you know, it, it's kind of, it just kind of, you know, comes with the territory. Right. And then, I mean, I've got to ask, you know, if, and it's, I guess, since the coaching situation isn't, you know, for sure yet, uh, it makes it, and, you know, throws another wrench in it. But, I mean, considering all that, you know, we've been through as a country and everything, you know, as far as race goes and everything the past year, I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, all of the, all of the African-American votes were for the old coach to be out and then, uh, all the white votes were for him to stay in. I mean, if it comes to hiring a new coach, I mean, do you think this is the time where, you know, they finally get a shot at a black head coach or, I mean, because of all the current events surrounding everything else in the nation, or, I mean, do you feel like that situation has changed in Valdosta? I think, I think that's still kind of the the thought process. I think that they, there, there's a big segment, you know, of the board that, uh, wants, you know, that would like to see a black coach in there. Um, there is some support for certain candidates. Uh, Maurice Freeman, who's been the coach at Brooks County, um, he's been to the state championship in 2A and single A the last couple of years in the state. Uh, fell short both times, but he's been there. Um, he's well respected by, you know, everyone pretty much, white, black, whoever. Um, there's not many people that uh, would be against Coach Freeman. Um, It'll be, it remains to be seen if they'll reach out for him for that. He was a finalist for the job back in 2016 when Rodemaker was hired. Um, so 
Um, he's a guy that people would look at. I'm not sure who the other candidates would be right away, but um, I think ultimately, whoever it is, white, black, whoever, I think most people now, from what I've been reading, a lot of people want to see just them get a new coach in there, start fresh and start rebuilding the program because right now it's being viewed as a black eye that they're being dragged through this scandal. Right. Well, man, we really can't thank you enough for coming on and, and breaking some of this down for us. Uh, I literally, you know, for those who don't know, I literally just hit this guy up on Twitter like two days ago out of nowhere <laughs> trying to yeah. you know, come up with a guest for our next episode. And um, he was gracious enough to uh, hit me back and, and, and to come on the podcast 48 hours later. So I know as busy as you've been, it sounds like uh, we appreciate you taking the time to, to sit down with us tonight and, uh, you know, share some of this information with us. Yeah, thank you guys for having me, man. I appreciate it. Um, you know, I don't get this opportunity very often. Um, a lot of people want to talk about, you know, talk about that. And I've, I've been asked to, you know, go on radio and talk about it and things like that. So, um, you know, I'm glad that you guys were able to, to reach out to me and we could do this. Uh, hopefully I wasn't too long-winded. No, not <laughs> um, at all, man. No, perfect. Uh, so that sometimes I tend to go a little bit over, but, you know, I'm glad that you guys gave me the opportunity and we could talk about it and, you know, hopefully people can can listen to this and you know kind of you know understand what's going on here we're all newspaper guys here i think we're all a little too long-winded so it works <laughs> <laughs> better to say too much than not enough right? oh yeah exactly. for sure exactly yeah man <laughs> well uh we'll probably have to catch up with you again at some point when you know all of the dust finally settles and, and about Austin turns the page whether that be with rush probes again or uh, whether that be with a brand new coach and and get next season fired up so uh, at some point we'll definitely have to get you back on here to, to talk a little bit more about how everything unfolds yeah sounds good I'd, I'd be glad to and um you know i look forward to listening to you guys episodes no doubt all right man well we'll let you go and uh we'll have a have a great rest of the night and uh hopefully you got some uh, more interesting stories to write here in the next few weeks <laughs> yeah man thanks for having me man all right, see you man